all those times that I've told people that, you know, every challenge is an opportunity to, to learn, to grow, to excel. And I was sitting there going, was it a bunch of BS? Or do I have to get off my, my rear end and I get, get to work? What's the alternative? And when I made that decision, immediately, it wasn't as hard. Just making that mindset transition, that pivot, things got a whole lot better. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmayer. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. And that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. America's rural communities are home to millions of men and women who have served in our armed forces. CoBank, a cooperative bank serving vital industries across rural America, is a proud sponsor of the No Barriers Warriors program. Their partnership with No Barriers is one way they give back to the men and women who have served their country through military service. We are grateful for their generosity. Today we meet Aaron Hale who is an army team leader in one of the military's most dangerous jobs, explosive ordnance disposal. It was during this work that he was blinded by an IED. Not letting his injuries hold him back, Aaron became an EOD instructor, motivational speaker, mountain climber, whitewater kayaker, and marathon runner. Four years later, tragedy struck again when Aaron contracted bacterial meningitis, which robbed him of his hearing, leaving him not just 100% blind, but completely deaf as well. Again, Aaron picked himself up, dusted off, and continued to chase the best of what life has to offer. Today, he's back speaking and sharing his story, running marathons. He's a proud husband and father of a nine-year-old son and identical twins. He runs a thriving chocolate company with his wife and recently completed his first 100-mile ultra-marathon. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to our weekly No Barriers podcast series, where we will continue to explore this extraordinary moment in our lives while remaining true to the theme that we've always emphasized here, which is what's within you is stronger than what's in your way. A message that we think the world needs to hear now more than ever. Well, Eric, I cannot wait to talk to Aaron Hale today for, you know, among other things, it's a great opportunity for all of us to go order some chocolate which uh, I'm pretty sure all of us could use a little bit more chocolate today. Um, so I, I thought first things first, Aaron, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, David. Thank you, Eric. This is, uh, this is terrific. What an honor to be uh, invited onto the show. Big fan of both of you guys. Awesome. Hey, so Aaron, you and I met in Peru or before that while we were training. And in Peru, we climbed uh, a cool peak together and uh, got to know you. And I've always been a huge fan of yours. I think you... Uh, are a total stud and you really uh, have, I don't know, the word inspiration kind of gets thrown around too much, but you really have inspired me. Like you've endured a lot and you've overcome a lot and you really are 
doing amazing stuff. And, and so I, I really do look at you as an example of a no barriers pioneer. So I'm really psyched to hear from you. And then I just want to like dive in. So um, you are an EOD expert, right? And a lot of people don't even know what that involves. You were in the army. So what, t- tell people, like walk people through, because it seems like like one of the scariest, hardest jobs that you could sign up for in the military. You know, in fact, uh, somebody sent me a link for, uh, this is years ago, sent me a link of, it was one of those polls that was, uh, you know, world's scariest jobs. And the first, <laughs> one, first one was Army Soldier. Number three was Bomb Squad. And number two was like high-rise window washer. So being an Army bomb technician, I had two of the three. So if this chocolate thing doesn't work out, I'm going to get a squeegee and uh, get on a scaffold or something and get the hat <laughs> trick. But yeah, that's, uh, that's what I did in the Army. Uh, I'd originally joined the Navy as a chef, and I did that for a few years until about 2006. Both, both wars were in full swing. And uh, I was in the Mediterranean. I was serving a three-star admiral, and I was I was homeported. The ship was homeported in Gaeta, Italy, which I mean, real hardship duty. But I wanted to play a more direct role in the, the effort, uh, so I volunteered. I went to Afghanistan, and as a Navy cook, they put me in charge of an army chow hall. But while I was there, I met some EOD technicians, explosive ordnance disposal. And getting to know these guys and learning about the job they did, they're first responders on the battlefield. And they're the ones that, uh, when everybody's running away from those roadside bombs and uh, suicide vests and anything that goes boom, unexploded ordnance, IEDs, that's this, this is what these guys do. And the the life saving job they do for our troops, for the innocents, uh, you know the. Uh, it was just, it drew me, retracted to me too immediately. It's also a tight-knit community, a brotherhood, everything about it. I just knew that that was my calling. So as soon as I got back from Afghanistan, I switched uniforms and I switched jobs. I went from Navy cook to Army bomb technician. I tell people, when I, when I got my first confirmed kill with an egg roll, I decided to start saving lives instead. Now, like when you're telling that story, I'm like, my heart's like beating a little bit. Like, weren't you terrified to sign up for that line of work? I mean, you know, some people would be running from that line of work. So what was going through your head? You know, to be to, to say that it, uh, it was the absence of fear it would be it would be a fallacy, it would be a total lie. Uh, it's just that we're so well-trained uh, and the job is that important and somebody's got to do it that you you put your fears aside you do your best to mitigate the hazard and do the job as safely as possible and we are the most highly trained and well-equipped bomb technicians in the world but of course there's a level of hazard there that you've got to accept and of course, in my case, uh, I came very close to losing my life. But I just think of all of the lives I was able to save, all of the IEDs and UXOs, unexploded ordnance, that I was able to render safe and get off the battlefield before it got to one of our uh, fellow troops. And that made it all worthwhile. 
So what was the process? I heard like you were like crawling into holes and pretty wild stuff to dismantle these IEDs and so forth, right? Our job description includes everything from marine flares and fireworks to nuclear bombs. Anything that goes boom, uh, we are the, the first responders. On a day-to-day basis, the IEDs, the anything you know, from bullets to grenades to landmines, anything that hasn't yet detonated, we we ha- we know how to render it safe, to approach it, and how to dispose of it safely. You had robots too, right? Didn't you have help from like like robotics technology and so forth? We do have a lot of tech that we can employ, but it comes down to basically tradecraft, simple skills. In fact, there's a lot of, uh, our training is heavy on electronics, circuitry, physics, chemistry, learning how these uh, different types of munitions actually function and what sets them off. So with that, armed with that, being able to have one tool or another uh, almost doesn't matter so long as we know how to attack it properly. And that has come in handy. That particular skill has come in handy. Uh, uh, and I use this uh, in my everyday life. I tell people about how an EOD team, at least in the Army, is uh, usually th- three members, a uh, team leader and two team members. Uh, and they always send the, the highest ranking, the most experienced guy, the team leader, to do that long walk in the bomb suit. You know, the most experienced, you want the most experienced guy doing the job, but they send these teams out with an entire shipping container each of tools and I mean, everything from the bomb suits to robots to hazmat equipment, you name it, power tools. And then we get to places like Iraq where, uh, you know, Baghdad, uh, Fallujah, where, you know, we're, we're uh, given these armored trucks called Jervs and it doesn't have as much space in it as uh, as the shipping container. So you've got to pick and choose how many tools uh, you can put in there. Uh, and some have to be left behind. And, of course, uh, you still have to do the same job. Then we got to Afghanistan, and some of these roads we're on were just goat trails. We couldn't even fit the truck if we wanted to. So we were going on dismounted patrols, on foot patrols. And now the only tools we could bring are the ones we could carry on our backs. And we still had to do the same job. So when I talk to groups, I talk about what tools you have in your kit. And most of the time, uh, you don't have to worry. You can't be fixated. You can't worry on the tools you left behind or the tools you don't have. You've got to focus on uh, what you do have at hand, the team members, the skills, and your creativity uh, to get through the hardest times ahead. And it's one of the most important uh, lessons I've learned in my life, and it's certainly carried me through both injury and illness. So you have to have some MacGyver in you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Aaron, you you know you got us to a bit of your journey uh, through to Afghanistan, and it was in Afghanistan that uh, an IED blinded you, and then uh, not too long thereafter, meningitis caused you to lose your hearing. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about that journey and that part of your life, um, because we kind of look at you now and we'll hear about your your business and uh, your speaking business, your fudge business. And it seems like you're someone who just 
continues to figure out a way. Uh, and this podcast is partly about how do we figure out a way when those unexpected things hit us. So walk us through a little bit of what happened to you and how you how you managed. Well, um, of course, I deployed once as a Navy cook. And then I after I switched over to EOD, I deployed to Iraq one time. And then in 2011, I deployed a second time to Afghanistan. This time I was an EOD team leader. And 2000, this was 2011, about eight months into the deployment, uh, I was working on uh, an IED. I'd already had it uh, uh, dismantled with a robot, but the robot couldn't get the, the bomb, the, the, the bulk explosive out of the hole. It was too hard packed. And while we're trying to get as much evidence as we possibly could to go do what we call get left of the boom, you know, if you think of a timeline, there's the, the, the financier, the bomb maker, the bomb emplacer, you know, the, the boom, and then there's post-blast analysis and a lot of screaming and crying. So we want to get left of the boom and we want to get all those guys uh, in the chain. I was, uh, was heading down with my metal detector and evidence collection kit to go take care of this ID and collect tape and wire and biometrics and a sample of the explosive and get rid of the rest at about 20 or 30 meters from the first, you know, that, that IED, there was a secondary device that hadn't been detected yet. And it detonated, sent me into the sky. Uh, I landed on my knees and elbows. The lights went completely out. I'd thought originally that my, my helmet had gotten pushed over my face. That's why I couldn't see. I was still conscious. I still had all my fingers and toes and knees and elbows and all that. But I did a functions check. I wiggled everything. Seemed okay. Then I reached up to grab my helmet and adjust it and get back to work. When I found out that, I realized I, I didn't have a helmet anymore. It was gone. And I thought, oh, no, this is bad. The Army's going to want that back. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, it's, it's really funny what goes through your head at certain times, but I'm not kidding. There, that's uh, I was literally thinking my first sergeant's going to have my butt. Um, but uh, uh, I, I was on a hazmat chopper within 14 minutes, and I was on my way to Kandahar, then to Landstuhl, and then within 48 hours, I was at Walter Reed, and I had hope that I would get my, my sight back, but the, the blast had uh, completely removed one of my eyes, my, my uh, left eye. It even uh, fused my eyelids together, so I was in a permanent wink. The, the piece of frag uh, had cut across the orbital ridge, across my, the bridge of my nose, and then gashed my left, or my, it was the other way around. My right eye was uh, gone. My left eye had gotten gashed to the extent that they couldn't repair it. Uh, it also cracked my skull in a, uh, a few places, and I was leaking spinal fluid right out of my nose. So that had, that had to get patched. And then uh, uh, burns, bruises, uh, blow down my eardrums, that kind of stuff. But uh, from my neck down, virtually unscathed. So uh, lucky for me, we hails are really hard-headed, so it couldn't have hit me in a better place. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I... Um, I was soon, I was trying to figure out then how the, the, the demons try to get in, the what, why me's, the what ifs, that kind of stuff. But, you know, my family wouldn't let me 
feel sorry for myself. My military training and my my own upbringing, I didn't I didn't wallow in that uh, self pity for very long. And soon I was at the blind rehabilitation center. The VA uh, was training me to learn how to be a blind person. And as soon as I got my iPhone and the, 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 the voiceover, and I was trying to learn how to use this technology, I was on Google researching how to do blind plus all sorts of things, blind plus outside, blind plus running, blind plus climbing. So you get through and you're learning technology, you're learning how to adjust to blindness, and then double whammy, right? Meningitis. Great. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, You can ask uh, Jeff about this. Uh, I was two weeks away from climbing Kilimanjaro with Jeff Evans when uh, I'm feeling a little dizzy, uh, a little fatigued. I laid down for a nap after I was just off the plane and back home, dropping my my luggage, uh, just come back from a speaking engagement. And I felt uh, felt really strange, like uh, incredibly dizzy. Uh, I, I literally thought I was I was I was falling over, and I don't know, Eric, if you've experienced this. That you know, when you, you're falling, you don't want to overcompensate or overreact. You might just slam your head into something. Right. So I tried to relax, and I didn't I didn't know where I was falling, but a few seconds later, I was exactly where I was. You know, I didn't hadn't moved. I just got that dizzy. So um, I laid down, laid down for a nap, and woke up. I don't know how much, how, how much later, five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, with the the most extreme. I don't know what to call it. It was a headache. Uh, um, it was awful. It was like somebody had poured acid into my brain. So I knew I had to. I called nine one one. The operator said, "State the na- nature of your emergency." And, and I said, and I was a little embarrassed. I said, uh, "Ma'am, I'm." Uh, I have a very bad headache. <laughs> so, you know, she said, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how bad is the pain? I said, ma'am, I've never felt a pain like this in my life. And I've literally been blown up before. She said, the ambulance is on its way. I found out I contracted bacterial meningitis. The crack in my skull and my sinuses, I guess, either reopened or never been fully patched. And there was a direct passageway through my sinuses to my brain mm-hmm. and a meningitis crept right in and it was eating away at my brain so over the next couple of days whether it was the uh, meningitis itself or the heavy heavy doses of antibiotics to keep me alive it stole what was left of my my hearing that the bomb hadn't taken and it taken away my inner ear balance the vestibular balance so I was uh, I was bed bound in uh, the hospital for weeks. Uh, when I got out of the hospital, I was still in a wheelchair because I couldn't stand up without help. And it was uh, it was again it was uh, another long road back. And this was four years after the bomb, and I was right back. Uh, it felt like I was right back at square one. I was feeling sorry for myself. I was feeling I was feeling down and depressed. And I began. You know, of course, my family again would not let me feel self pity. And I was thinking about this. I was like, I've been preaching these, you know, the, the words. I was preaching this triumph through tragedy, this uh, strength through struggle, the, the tools in your kit. And I was just thinking, you know, something out there was telling me I needed to prove it again. I needed to do it uh, one more time. I needed to bootstrap and I needed to get back to work. Being a father, a dad, a son, 
uh, a soldier, even though by then I retired, you know, I still feel the duty to be at my very best, whatever that may be. So I did what anybody in my situation would do, started a chocolate company. <laughs> I remember when we were hiking last year, you were saying like you had some conversations with God and it was like, haven't I given enough? Like what? This seems unfair, right? Like you're ready for one thing, but yeah. you're not ready for the second thing, right? Like how, like one to 10 did floored, you're probably at a 10, right? Well, yeah, I was, I was, because I was literally, I was, I was, I was trapped inside my body. I couldn't get any messages in. I, I couldn't see, I couldn't hear anything. Uh, my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, my, my wife now was literally writing every word, every letter of every word that she needed to get to me in the palm of my hand. So that, uh, and that was the only way I could get a message in. I figured that, that I had my thought at the time was, man, I should have learned Braille. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was tedious. It was frustrating. But the feeling uh, of being so isolated, and I got to tell you, everybody right now is doing the, the shelter in place, this uh, social distancing. I tell you what, I've been there. I've been isolated. And I was thinking about uh, how social media and people are like, oh, this is so awful. I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world, guys. It's not that bad. But um, it, truthfully, it was, it, it was six months before I actually could get sound in. And it was a few months later before I could actually understand another human voice. And there was a lot of inner contemplation. There really was, uh, it was quite a few times where I was thinking, you know, when have I paid my dues? When has one, one guy had enough? Like how many, did you, when is enough enough? But I, all those times that I've told people that, you know, every challenge is an opportunity to, to learn, to grow, to excel. And I was sitting there going, trying to tell myself, it, was, was I saying just lip service? Was it a bunch of BS? Or do I have to get off my, my rear end and I get, get to work? What's the alternative? And that was, that was really it. It was, I can either get to work on getting better and, and do, dealing with this situation, whether or not I ever was able to hear again, whether or not you know, medical advances give me sight again or hearing again or whatever, I need to make the, make the best of the situation I've got and what I have and the tools I still have in my kit. And when I made that decision, immediately it wasn't as hard just making that mindset transition that pivot things got a whole lot better well aaron you know you you have had a lot of experience dealing with uh, completely unexpected things being thrown your way that many of us may have given up when that happened to us uh, and you even mentioned as you were talking a little bit about what we're going through as a as a globe right now, which is, you know, things that were unexpectedly thrown at all of us that we're struggling with and uh, they pale in comparison to what you're describing. But even so, I, I'm just curious, you know, what, what things have you learned in managing these unexpected traumas that might inform people who are struggling today with unexpected things, whether it's job loss or, being locked at home, having to deal with a dying family member, 
I'm just curious, like how we could apply some of this to our own lives. The best way to deal with the unexpected is to be the absolute best at whatever you're doing. The resilience is described as like being being a rubber band where you you get you know you get stressed, you get stretched out, and you come back. And, you, and how how well you bounce back. Humans aren't that way. We we undergo stress and we get completely changed. We can become stronger for it, smarter for it, more uh, better uh, in some way or another. But the way to get better at any unknown stresses is to constantly put yourself under stress. Just do it in a controlled and, and planned way. So if, if it's an unexpected uh, job loss, be the best at your job. Always training, uh, always learning, always getting better at what you do. Uh, maybe learn new skills or be good at doing something else so that you have a fallback. Have a plan for the unexpected, because the one thing that's for sure is that the unexpected is going to come. If it's illness or injury, you should be physically fit. I mean, eat right, work out. It's just a no-brainer that a healthy body will undergo the stresses of illness and injury far better than an unfit body. Mm. And then it's the same for your mind and soul. You meditate, pray, whatever you need to do to have the right mental outlook and, and above all else, be grateful and have empathy because those, those types of emotions will make any hardship so much easier. Well, you put yourself into controlled stress because you got back into the kitchen, right? That was like one of the things you did in the Navy, obviously. So you get back in the kitchen. Now you're deaf blind and you're back in the kitchen. And where did that lead you? Well, that was uh, was actually therapy for me. When I was waiting for the cochlear implants to kick in, for the surgeries to heal, for the them to get tuned in, and I was there feeling pretty down, and like all of those techno technological aids, the talking phone, the talking computer, the barcode scanners, all that kind of stuff, all audio based, all useless. I yeah. You'd learn this, you'd devoted your life, and then bam, all of it doesn't work anymore for you. Exactly. I'd put together a, uh, a pretty good uh, man cave in the garage, uh, my home gym, home fitness center. And I couldn't even get on the treadmill because it felt like, you know, with my balance being what it was, it felt like somebody was trying to rip that out from under me. So I fell back on something that I knew I could do, and that was cook. Even I've, I've been doing it my whole life, so even without being able to see or hear, uh, I could get in there and I could I could actually still do a pretty decent job of cooking. And that's when you know it was about the the holidays. Hol uh, Thanksgiving was coming, so I decided I was going. We were going to throw this huge feast, invite friends and family, and just have this enormous spread. And I started cooking. I started making desserts weeks in advance, and I was you know, cakes, cookies, pies, all that kind of stuff. I was making batch after batch of fudge and I was throwing nuts and spices and I was, uh, I was dumping alcohol into these things. I mean, it was fantastic. And Michaela said she noticed uh, two things. One was uh, I had something on my face that she hadn't seen in half a year and that was a smile. And the second thing she noticed was that the fudge was just piling up. 
that no family could eat it all in one holiday. So she was sneaking it out the front door. I say sneaking like you got to be real stealthy around a blind deaf guy. But uh, she was giving it to friends and neighbors and they were coming back and uh, saying, that was great. Uh, can we buy some of this from you? We've got a birthday or you know, a shower or something. That's the voice. Um, so, I like it. Um, uh, my wife probably needs my help. But uh, the, uh, the capitalist in me said, well, of course you can. Well, and that's kind of how the, the, the chocolate company was born. And what's the name of the chocolate company? Because that's the best title of a company I think I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> uh, we called it Extraordinary Delights. EOD, EOD. Explosive Ordnance Disposal. Uh, we called it Extraordinary Delights. And yeah, it's been it's been a blessing for us. Uh, it's been part therapy, part advancement in our lives. It's uh, extra security for the family, and it's it, it's wonderful getting to work hand in hand with my my best friend and wife. Uh, what I love about the name EOD Chocolates is, or Fudge, excuse me, is that it seems like cooks, chefs pour like their life into into their recipes right into these creations and you know you've taken all your experiences like the struggles the you know the process that you use to work your way through some of these hardships and you've poured it into something that's just straight up love and delight and uh, that is like the most powerful definition of alchemy that i i think i've ever experienced and uh i'm getting a little teary-eyed thinking about that it's awesome man i'm so glad that you have this incredible outlet. So tell our listeners how they can find your chocolates and place an order. Where do they go? Absolutely. So you can go to eodfudge.com and please, uh, you can follow us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at EOD Confections. Perfect. And for those of you that are moving about and don't have time to write those down, we'll put those in our show notes at nobarrierspodcast.com. Aaron, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. We're really thankful for your time with us and uh, for your participation in some of our uh, Warriors expeditions. Uh, We'll continue to follow your incredible journey and support you. Listeners can go buy some chocolates to offer support. And you can find today's show notes at nobearspodcast.com. And we'll put in there some of the amazing stories about Aaron Hale and his life. He's been featured on Fox News, ESPN, Boston Herald, many other places. And then, of course, here on the No Barriers podcast. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us. Thank you, David. And thank you, Erica, for inviting me Thanks, on. buddy. Uh, and looking forward to our next climb together. Yeah, me too. I can't wait. Well, Eric, uh, a great conversation. What, what stuck with you from today's conversation? Well, the takeaway for me, there's a, I mean, the whole thing is a takeaway. So it's hard to, this one's really hard for me to extrapolate. But I mean, a couple things. One is, as I said, you know, you take your life, your suffering, your struggles, your relationships, and you pour them into this business, into this passion for cooking. And it becomes like this incredible story of alchemy. And I also think the other thing that Aaron said about, um, you know, like he lived this COVID isolation for six months. So I think that's good perspective 
for me and for a lot of our listeners to realize that like, you know, this is a human struggle, right? You know, Aaron and many others went through these struggles and think about all the people now that are suffering from isolation in one way or another. And uh, those are people we need to reach out to right now. Yeah. And I think the, the section of the conversation where Aaron was talking about, you know, the things that had happened to him and how he went to a dark place, but there were always people to pull him out of that. And he made this conscious decision in his own head of, I, I, yes, I could go there. These people are helping me out and I need to decide to live. I need to decide to embrace what's in front of me and keep moving forward uh, because there's more, more that I have to live for. And I think that that is a really powerful message for all of us. Yeah, it's resilience. And uh, we all need to be resilient right now, for sure. Thanks so much for listening. Awesome. No barriers. The production team behind this podcast includes senior producer Pauline Schaefer, executive producer Diedrich Jonk, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Kotman, graphics by Sam Davis, and marketing support by Megan Lee and Carly Sandsmark. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. We know that you've got a lot of choices about how you can spend your time, and we appreciate you spending it with us. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com. And soon they will be fine.